Well, last week, a couple of theological questions from a Bible scholar uh, about eternal life and who is my neighbor led Jesus to tell a story about a stranger left dead on the side of the road. And an unexpected and unlikely Samaritan became the hero and the model of neighborly love. And, and while indirect, Jesus' story landed. And, and we, we, we discovered that obeying God's command to love our neighbors becomes far more manageable when most of the people we don't know or don't like are excluded from the command. And Jesus made it very, very plain that being a neighbor is not something you and I discuss, it's something we do. It's not something to be bantered around and debated. It's, it's one of the ways that we participate in the life of Jesus. And we're called to be a neighbor to everyone. You and I have the opportunity and the capacity uh, to help. And if you were with us last week, uh, this Bible scholar's question ended up very differently than he ever expected. Well, this morning, our conversation is going to begin with a heartfelt request by a follower of Jesus. And it too would end up in a very different way than expected. Jesus has a way of doing that. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Well, one day Jesus was, was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Uh, the disciple is not named. Uh, we don't know if he was a new follower of Jesus or someone who had been following Jesus for some time. Remember, by the time that we're looking at these stories, they had been with Jesus or some had been with Jesus three years. We're just a week away from all the events leading up to his death. But one thing that's obvious is that those around Jesus quickly observed the place that prayer played in his life. Um, prayer seems so natural for Jesus. Uh, it, was, it was never forced or rigid, highly structured, but there was an ease and a, a spontaneity and a closeness about Jesus' conversations with his father, and those who followed Jesus were wildly attracted to what they saw. Uh, and they had observed something similar in John, uh, the disciple who was the closest to Jesus, and, and, and they desired what they saw in him as well, and and one of the things that we, 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 we sometimes forget is that the best way to learn to follow Jesus is by spending time with people who follow Jesus. And we, we watch how they live, and we watch what they do, and we imitate, we follow. Well, on this particular occasion, a disciple had been observing Jesus praying, and, and afterwards, uh, he, he responded, Jesus, teach us to pray. And, and Jesus said to him, so when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Jesus barely started, and then he finished. That's all he said. 
Even when we read Jesus' words slowly, it takes about 30 seconds. This was a surprisingly brief answer to an eager request. Now, I doubt this disciple expected a graduate-level seminar on prayer, but he must have expected more than this. You see, Jesus' brief words about prayer were unpretentious and uncomplicated. We, we come to God asking for things that we most need, uh, for his purposes uh, to be accomplished. You know, for hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. We pray for his provision uh, for our everyday lives. Give us each day our daily bread. Give us what we need today. We pray for forgiveness. Forgive us our sins. We pray for his guidance and protection. Lead us not into temptation. You know, I... And those of you who have been around me, you know, it's kind of a scary place in my head sometimes, but I would love to know how the disciple responded to Jesus' question or his answer. He he was asking, in my estimation, what what was a very thoughtful, heartfelt question, and, and Jesus is surprisingly brief, and you wonder, was he disappointed that there wasn't something more spiritually sophisticated in Jesus' answer? Or was he relieved that it was so simple? We're not told. But Jesus used uh, the request, teach us to pray as an opportunity to tell a story. And in this series, we're looking at the stories of Jesus. And we're paying attention to the way he told those stories and the language he used in those stories. And and Jesus told a story. Verse 5, and Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight And you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me. I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one on the inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, but because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. This is a curious story. (laughs) Uh, My suspicion is that their response was maybe similar to ours. This is not exactly what we would have expected. Um, And it raises all kinds of questions for us. Is God really like a friend who can't be bothered by us but eventually gives in? Not because he actually cares, but because we annoy him with repeated requests. Is that really what prayer is? Well, important, as we kind of think about this story, that we first understand how the listeners in Jesus' day would have heard this story. Very different than how you and I hear it. You see, back in Jesus' day, it would have been completely unthinkable to not extend hospitality to a guest. Unthinkable. Um, Even when the guest appeared uninvited at your doorstep at midnight, you welcomed the person at your door and you provided a meal. That's what you did. Um, And should you not have enough food in your house for this midnight guest at your door, it would be expected that you make arrangements for it because hospitality was a sacred duty 
And on top of that, your guest was not just your guest. Your guest was considered a guest of the entire community. And so your hospitality was an extension of the hospitality of the community. And, and so it was an honorable thing to extend hospitality to someone who needed help, even if they weren't a close friend and even if it weren't convenient. Your honor, your honor as a person and the honor of your community was at stake. So when this friend in the story arrives at his next door neighbor's house asking for bread in the middle of the night to give to his guest, it would have not been considered an unthoughtful or rude gesture. And there were no Kroger's or Publix open for midnight runs. <laughs> now, let's pause here for a second because it's hard for you and I to even imagine that. My guess is we would never go next door at midnight to ask a neighbor for food to feed our guest. Um, we're way too proud for that. Uh, way too self-respecting. Uh, too self-sufficient for that. Nor would we take kindly to the suggestion that our personal reputation and our reputation of our neighborhood is somehow on the line with how we respond. We would find that quite offensive. But that being said, even within the cultural mores of Jesus' day, the story is still an unbelievably honest description of reality. See, when his friend arrived at his neighbor, the neighbor's door, everyone was asleep. And the houses of most people in Jesus' day were small, one or two bedroom cottage-like houses. And think of it like this, the living room, the kitchen, the bedroom were often the same shared space. And so getting up would require someone to disturb the entire family, stepping over the kids, hoping you didn't wake someone. The truth is, no one would have been eager to get up. And yet, like us, maybe, he may have hoped that if he ignored the knocking long enough, whoever it would would leave, and, and, but it continued. And, and he even tried to talk his neighbor out of it, but it continued. And so he started to wonder, Maybe this is serious. Uh, something must be wrong. Uh, this is my community. I, I need to see who needs help. And, and so he responded and gave his neighbor as much as needed to serve him. And we wonder, okay, so what's the point of Jesus' story? I find it interesting that Jesus didn't illustrate prayer in lofty spiritual terms. When he was illustrating how to pray, he, he placed prayer in the language of the everyday neighbors and friends. He almost despiritualizes it. And something that you and I are gonna notice in these months as we take a look at the Samaritan stories, uh, Jesus will do that often. It's almost as if Jesus is weaning us off the spiritual language we sometimes use to describe God or to keep God at a safe distance. 
And he, he just brings it back into everyday earthy language. And, and Jesus' story is a little messy. Uh, when it begins, we're not exactly sure this is going to end so well. And as we know, as we all know, things don't always go well, friends and neighbors. Especially if we're asking for stuff. Um, okay, but, but still, picturing God as someone who can be cajoled into answering our prayer because we relentlessly beg him still seems to be problematic. But what if, what if the story is not about God's reluctance or even our persistence? What if the story is about coming to God because we have a desperate need? I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by the part of the story that Jesus tells in verse 8. And he says, so I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship. I mean, that's what we all want, isn't it? We'd want someone to wake up because they care for us. They're friends. They're going to do whatever we, we, even though he wouldn't do it because of that. Here's the phrase, yet because of your shameless audacity. I'm intrigued by that. What is it that Jesus is describing here? What do you mean by shameless audacity? A conspicuous disregard of what was considered appropriate by the culture. A conspicuous disregard. Or we could say it like this. A lack of concern for what other people might think. Uh, chutzpah. Gall. Nerve. Temerity. And to describe someone as shameless suggests that they would be embarrassed by their behavior. What would lead Jesus to use language like this to describe prayer? desperation. The man banging on his friend's door at midnight asked for bread because he had nothing to offer his guest. He had nothing to offer. He didn't care about waking his his neighbor's family. He didn't care about waking up their neighbors. He needed bread and was prepared to embarrass himself asking for it. raw desperation. And and Jesus' story is very human. It's what you and I experience when we find ourselves in life situations and we know we're completely helpless, we're over our head, and we're desperate for help, and we know that we know that we have nothing to offer. Our second son, our, our son Jono, is a recovering alcoholic. And this year marked his seventh year of sobriety for which we are, we are thankful. But prior to Jono hitting the bottom seven or so years ago and entering rehab, Vern and I found ourselves in such a place. As we watched our son spiral deeper into addiction, we exhausted every avenue we knew. but every effort failed. Uh, We reached the end of our ability to help him, and in a sense, all we could do was pray. 
And as things continued to grow darker, we weren't concerned about using religiously correct words or right formulas in our prayers. Um, we weren't concerned about our pride, our ego, or what people thought about us. Wasn't concerned about what people think less of us as a pastor. We were desperate for God's intervention. So our prayers were honest and they were raw and they were earthly. We, we shamelessly pleaded with God to have mercy. It went on for months. And as Jonathan, Jonathan grew worse, our prayers became more raw and more earthy and more desperate. And we knew that we had nothing to offer to help our son. You know, reading Jesus' story this week caused me to recall how often during those years I felt like the man standing outside banging on God's door in the middle of the night wondering why he wasn't responding to us. Wondering if God even cared about the situation with Jono. But we couldn't stop asking. Um, all we could do was hang on to, to our hope that God would have mercy. Jesus' story describes that posture. You see, prayer is not something that we have the luxury of separating from the messy realities of our everyday life. Try as we may. Prayer is not something that we show up and do on Sundays that sounds so neat and so tidy and so different from all the real conversations we have with our family and friends during the week about real life. And we're all familiar with the difference. You know, there, there is some God-honoring language of our worship that, that belongs here. And, and other times there are less than honoring cliches we use to impress one another with our spirituality. And while it may have a place on Sundays, uh, Jesus says it doesn't fit in Samaria. <laughs> you see, prayer is the response, the posture of desperate people. And so our words are raw in their honesty. And we come to God with shameless audacity because we really have nothing to offer. We need God. And we hope and trust that he will respond because he is good. And that's why that's why we so deeply resonate with the Psalms. I listened to David's words in Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. I kept knocking on the door. And he turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of my despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground. He steadied me as I walked along. He answered the door and he helped me. Verse 11, so Lord, don't hold back your tender mercies from me. Let your unfailing love and faithfulness always protect me, for troubles surround me. Too many to count. My sins pile up so high, I can't see my way out. My sins outnumber the hairs on my head. I've lost all courage. I have nothing to offer you. 
Well, after his story, Jesus continued in verse 9. And so I say to you, after this story, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. That is a remarkable and comforting promise, is it not? Now, as you look at the breadth of Scripture, it certainly is not a blank check promising that we'll receive everything we want, the way we want it, and when we want it. In the context of Jesus' story, it's the promise that our dependence upon God will never leave us disappointed. We'll experience God's provision. He will answer the door. So we pray because we know that God will respond. And then he goes on in verse 11. And which of you fathers, now he's going to personalize it, if your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. And the, the, implica- the implication of the question is, of course not. Why, why are you even asking such a question? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I had the thought this week. Imagine in the same story that Jesus told, uh, imagine that it wasn't a, a neighbor outside the door banging the door. Imagine it was the father responding to one of his children who woke him in the middle of the night saying, I'm afraid, Daddy. I need you, Daddy. Now, I know what some of you moms are thinking. I know how my husband would respond. (laughs) He'd roll over and wake me up and ask me to take care of it. (laughs) But a father would not turn his children away. He loves them. He would get up and provide for them. It's in the DNA of being a dad. So when you and I come to God in prayer... We are far better off than a frantic friend standing outside the door hoping to get his attention. We're beloved children already on the inside. We're close to our father and he cares deeply for us. A father who loves us so much that he will even give us part of himself to be with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And if a sleeping neighbor can be aroused to respond to the request of a friend in the middle of the night, how much more can you and I depend on a loving father to respond to us? See, knowing that makes a difference in how we pray, doesn't it? Knowing that changes everything. We don't have to beat the door down to get God's attention. All we have to do is whisper. He's that close. He's that available. He's that responsive. And as desperate, helpless, and vulnerable as we are in so many circumstances of life, when we come to God, we find hope and comfort in knowing he will respond as a loving father. He's good. 
Now let's go back to Jesus' response to the question, teach us to pray. In Jesus' words, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forget everyone who, who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. The request was appropriate. We, we want to pray. Teach us how to pray. But friends, Jesus isn't interested in teaching us a religious method. He's not interested that we get the words right. What Jesus really desires is people who recognize how desperately we need God because we have nothing to offer. And every one of us, every person in this room, every person watching, we all have the same desperate needs. We, we, we're desperate for God's purposes to somehow unfold in our lives. We want his kingdom to unfold. We want to participate in the richness of, of who God is and what God is doing. We have a desperate need for God's provision of our everyday needs. I don't know all the circumstances you all are facing in your life, what your needs are right now, but we all need God to step in and provide. We have a desperate need for forgiveness, uh, both experiencing forgiveness ourselves because we're broken, sinful people and extending forgiveness to the people who wrong us. And we have a desperate need for for guidance and protection. We, we can't figure this out. We can't plan our way out of all the difficulties we have in life. As much as we like to think we can. We need God's protection. We need his guidance. And so we ask with shameless audacity. We keep asking because we need God, desperately need God. Now the story, we go, ah. And what seemed so obtuse is not at all. It's inviting us into a very real and earthy and robust relationship of dependence upon God that abandons ourselves. And looks to him. So let's pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us how to come to you without the outstretched arms of a little child who runs to our Father for comfort. And as we come, fill us with all the love and all the respect and all the honor that a child should have for a parent. And take our small and clumsy hands in yours and walk with us. Lead us through dark streets. Help us to keep pace with you so that your will would be done in our lives here on earth just, just like it is in heaven. Deliver us from our childish 
childish Christmas lists of self-centered prayers. And give us instead what we need each day to sustain our lives. The food we need for, the food we daily need for our bodies and the forgiveness we so desperately need for our souls. Lord, we're just like kids in this candy store world. Remember how weak and vulnerable we are, how needy we are, how desperate we are. So please don't lead us down any aisles where we might become tempted to stray from you. Again, we come to you with shameless audacity. In Jesus' name.